Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Season 2. Episode 2 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. On Tuesday... November 24th, 2015, Michelle James and an acquaintance were clearing out a communal garden in Bethai, Wales, after a neighbour, Lisa Bean, had passed away. The garden was a place where the residents relaxed, spent time tending to the flower beds or socialising at barbecues. At these gatherings, Lisa Bean had been the centre of attention often chain-smoking and dressed entirely in black with bleach-blonde hair, she would entertain guests by reading tarot cards. Before she had died, Lee, who was always talkative and very outgoing, had told her friend Michelle there was a medical skeleton in the garden and laughed, suggesting it would be funny to scare one of her friends with it. This practical joke would lead to Michelle's arrest, spur a murder investigation that would span the globe, and ultimately lead back to a two-pound stone frog that lived on Lee's bedside cabinet. Anne Sabine, often referred to as Lee or Leanne, was born in 1940 in the village of Gethley, which resides in the Rontha Valley, a former coal mining area in South Wales. Born to parents Ronald and Margaret, Lee had one younger sibling, a sister called Susan. For a time, when Lee was five years old, Lee and Susan were raised solely by their father after their mother deserted the family. 
Margaret had been accused of stealing a checkbook from the National Coal Board, so fled the family home and never saw her children again. The sisters were distraught. Ronald felt he couldn't cope with raising his two daughters by himself and so decided to place the girls into the care of social services. They were first moved to a Catholic orphanage, then they were placed in a number of foster homes. Ronald, their father, would go on to remarry and the two girls briefly returned to his care. However, Lee's behaviour would mean the two sisters would ultimately be split up. Lee was a troubled child. She would be vindictive towards her sister by repeatedly lying in order to get Susan into trouble. Lee's behaviour was getting so out of hand her father was unsure of what to do with her. It was decided that she would move to her aunt and uncle's in London. Her aunt Dorothy and uncle Leslie had never had children, so being blessed with this beautiful young girl, despite her troubles, felt like a miracle. She was brought lavish gifts and expensive outfits, strangely in the style of Dorothy's idol, Canadian musical film star, Diana Durban. Inspired, Lee had dreams of becoming a professional jazz singer. At 16, following in her auntie's footsteps, she started working as a trainee nurse at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington, and it was there, just a year later, Lee met John Henry Sabine. John was being treated for a complication from an injury he received during the Korean War, and at 28 years old, he was 11 years a senior. He was also married and a father of two very young children called Christopher and Caroline. But despite his marriage, John and Lee started an affair which would result in Lee becoming pregnant in 1958. As soon as John's wife found out, she threw him out of the house, taking the decision to tell their children their father had died in the Korean War. While his divorce was being finalised, John moved in with Lee to Kent, where he found work as an accountant, and the pair awaited the birth of their first child. Their daughter, Susan Sabine, was born in January 1959, and they were married towards the end of the following year, November 1960. The Sabine family expanded over the next seven years with four more children, Stephen, Martin, Jane and Leanne. Moving between Kent, Hereford and Swansea, the family emigrated to New Zealand not long before the birth of their fifth child, Leanne, in 1967. John had been accused of fraud and didn't want to hang around to find out the outcome of the investigation. They told friends they were going to New Zealand to build a better life for their family, and John managed to find work quickly as an accountant. The stability of their new life was shattered almost immediately, as John faced fresh accusations that he had defrauded his new employers, and the couple decided to again run away from their problems. Lee and John left for Perth in Western Australia, changing their names to John and Lee Martin, but not before abandoning their five children in an Auckland nursery in 1969. The New Zealand authorities launched an investigation to try and track down Lee and John to bring charges against them for fraud and child abandonment. The media in New Zealand were fascinated and horrified with this couple who would choose to turn their backs on their own children. John and Lee finally gave an interview to an Australian newspaper they claimed they had travelled there to raise money for their family, but the plan failed and they were unable to afford to return to New Zealand to see their children. Their explanation was flimsy at best. Instead of clearing up the situation, it just created yet more questions. 
Lee and John couldn't explain why they had chosen to change their surname or why they hadn't told anyone where they were going. They hadn't even arranged for their children to be taken care of properly in their absence. This plan to raise money for the family was in fact a new career for Lee. She so desperately wanted to be a nightclub singer so began performing under the stage name of Lee Jones. This new career didn't quite take off the way they hoped so Lee and John quietly returned to New Zealand in 1982. They embarked on a new money-making endeavour, breeding spaniels, but unbelievably they didn't tell their children they were back in the country until a few years later. Their attempts to build bridges with their now fully grown children backfired when two of their daughters informed authorities, along with the local media, that they were due to meet. The young adults arrived at their parents' home with a handful of reporters, but their mother and father simply refused to see them. The couple's notoriety grew, but they managed to escape prosecution despite the New Zealand Minister for Social Welfare requesting an investigation. John and Lee had spoken to their teenage sons and managed to form a connection. I got the phone call, they rang me up and and, uh, it was quite emotional really. And when I first met them, you know, I was just coming for a rough patch and I was just coming right and since I've met my parents everything's just gone great. The same couldn't be said for their daughters. They didn't want us from the start, did they? I mean, like, well, I feel like I've never had a real sense of belonging and I may as well carry on with that. The BBC spoke to Genevieve Westcott, who initially covered the story in the 1980s and interviewed the Sabines. When we initially approached them, they denied it, of course. They said that the children were mentally unstable, that they were lying, that they were not their children. But in fact, they were the ones who had been lying for so many years. Despite their attempts to reconnect with their children, on one occasion a confrontation between Lee and her daughter Jane became so heated that police were called and Jane was arrested. She appeared in court on an assault charge during September 1984, though this charge was eventually dismissed. A few months later, John and Lee left New Zealand for good, this time moving back to the UK, and they would never see any of their children again. John once again managed to secure a job as an accountant, and the pair moved to a Victorian townhouse located next to the River Kennet in Reading. Lee wouldn't be out of the limelight for long, as she was featured in the Reading Post, local newspaper in 1992 after being sacked from Jackson and Sons, a department store where she worked. She had received a number of written warnings as she tended to be overly flirtatious with the customers. She told a local newspaper, they obviously thought I was some sort of tart because of my nails and colourful hair. When they said they were going to sack me, I thought, my talents are for hire, but my pride ain't for sale, darling. This put a strain on the couple's finances as Lee reportedly got in touch with a cousin asking for money. A threat of suicide was mentioned, though no funds ever changed hands. In an attempt to put their troubles firmly behind them, John and Lee again moved, this time making a new home in an area of Wales not far from where Lee had grown up. In February 1997, the couple moved to a small two-bedroom council flat in Bethai, near Pontypris. Beautiful green hills surrounded the former mining village in the Rontha Valley and the couple slowly filled their home with the mementos of Lee's days as a singer. 
John and Lee had not been at their flat long, and then one day, with no warning, John disappeared. Local residents recalled barely seeing him, and Lee tried to move on with her life. She confided in a friend, Lynn Williams, that John had been abusive and he would sleep with other women. She told another friend, Mary West, that John was jealous and extremely possessive, attempting to control her extroverted personality. These claims would be layered between tall tales of a modelling career in Australia, the time she sang with Tom Jones, and the fact her ex-husband was a millionaire. With Lee fabricating so many elements of her past, friends took her comments about John with a pinch of salt. Lee eventually started a new relationship with Derek Ellis, a retired fireman. Derek moved into the council house in Bethai, but in 2010, at the age of 59, he died from alcoholic liver disease. Although her husband had disappeared and a new partner had died, she still managed to put on a brave face and enjoyed telling tales of her time in showbiz. Often those on the receiving end would politely ignore them, believing she was eccentric and just long for the days of her youth. In August 2015, when Lee was at home alone, she had a fall which resulted in a trip to the local hospital. She had previously suffered from breast cancer, so hospital staff thought it wise to carry out a CT scan. The results revealed some terrible news. Her body was riddled with cancer. It was not two months later in October, and she was all but confined to a hospital bed in Royal Glamorgan Hospital, and she slowly began to write a will. Lynn Williams had been visiting a sick relative at Royal Glamorgan Hospital in Talbot Green and noticed the glamorous Lisa Bean in full makeup lying in a hospital bed. Lee's legs were covered in ulcers. She was unable to move. Lynn saw that Lee had no visitors to keep her company and after a few passing conversations, the two struck up a friendship. Lynn brought a new friend, homemade hot meals, as a reprieve from the hospital food, and she would also sneak Lee out of the building for an occasional cigarette. The two would often share stories of their lives, and Lee told Lynn about her children and ex-husband, but would skirt around the details, changing the subject when Lynn asked where her husband was now. One evening, while in the company of Lynn and her other friend Michelle James, Lee laughed while thinking of something that amused her. She told her friends that there was a medical skeleton in the communal garden and she thought it would be funny if they scared the new tenants of the property with it when she passed away. Lee claimed to have purchased it when she was training to be a nurse, but as she hadn't needed to use it for many years, she had wrapped it in roofing felt and stored it in the back garden. Lynn and Michelle joked about whether it was a real body and Lee laughed and said you never know. Lynn didn't get round to moving the skeleton and Lee passed away, aged 75, on October 30th, 2015. Twenty-five days after Lee had died, in November, Michelle James arrived with a friend at the two-bedroom flat and started clearing out the communal garden. Before she died, Lee had told Michelle about the medical skeleton, so she attempted to unravel the felt, cutting the cord that surrounded the material with a kitchen knife. She was shocked at what she found. As the layers of felt were removed, Michelle noticed her hands were incredibly sticky and the package emanated a pungent odour. 
She was expecting to see the plastic bones of the skeleton, but instead saw flesh and muscle covering a skeletal frame that was almost entirely preserved. The remains had been mummified in 41 layers of plastic, roofing felt and bin bags tied up with some elastic rope. Me and a friend went out the back. Um, I, we found the medical skeleton now and we put on the chair and said to Gareth, oh, look, Gareth, there's my new boyfriend sort of thing. You know, have a laugh. When we started cutting through uh, the layers and stuff and that, and all this sludge stuff came out all over my hands and I was screaming out the back. It's a dead body, it's a dead body. I thought that was a medical skeleton. That's what we was all told, it was a medical skeleton. And that's what we all thought. But obviously now, everybody's found out different. The police were informed and Gareth Bishop, a police community support officer, arrived at the scene. Once there, he described a strong rotting smell like from a compost bin. Michelle James was initially arrested and taken into police custody. Local residents were alarmed by the discovery. Well, I came home from work last night on the bus and seen all the, you know, police and everything. Just thought it was an, a normal traffic accident, but um, well, I just can't believe it because it's really, really quiet round here. It's lovely. You no, know, all the old age pensioners live here. We don't very rarely see anything. But it is a shock for the area. This quiet area. You don't hear too much going on and what have you. But um, yeah, it's quite shock. Well, it's usually very quiet, very busy. You know, lots of schools about. But uh, but shocking news. Yeah, shocking. As the body had been preserved in multiple layers of plastic. Police confirmed the individual was male, but could identify little else. So slowly began their investigation to find out who this mystery man was. No reports of missing persons had been filed, and calls to 999 in the area were rare. They considered the possibility that the male had been murdered, and then the body dumped in the garden to shift the blame. However, after reviewing the access points into the patio area, there was little chance that anyone other than one of the residents could be responsible. A post-mortem examination began on Wednesday, November 25th, and the police now had dental records and a serial number taken from a hip replacement. Neither of these clues unearthed who the mystery man was, and the police continued their investigation. Michelle James was released from custody a few days after she was first arrested, and now the police were back to square one. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Wow. 
Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. The male had been found wearing pyjamas, which included a tag by a company called St. Michael. These turned out to be a brand associated with Marks and Spencers that had last been produced in the year 2000. The police, at least now, had a rough time frame. A relative of John Sabine, who had not seen him in many years, came forward and gave a DNA sample. It would take a few weeks before the results were available, so police would have to turn their attention to the local area in the hope someone might be able to identify the body. The post-mortem examination confirmed that the male had died as a result of blunt force trauma to the head. Paul Hurley, Detective Superintendent of the South Wales Police, made a statement explaining, The death is suspicious and we are treating it as a murder. A priority for us is to identify whose body it is and to find out how he died. We would appeal for anyone who has concerns for the welfare of a male friend, relative or neighbour who has uncharacteristically not been seen or heard from in a number of weeks to get in touch with us. One of Lee's friends, Violet Scott, told the Wales Online newspaper, It is a complete mystery, but I cannot believe the body has been there for all these years. On December 11th, the investigation made a breakthrough. DNA submitted for testing had been cross-referenced and the body was confirmed to be that of John Sabine. Despite her recent death, Lee was now the prime suspect in the case. Her neighbours always thought that she was eccentric, however wouldn't have dreamed that she might be involved in the murder of her husband. Lee would regale her neighbours with tales of her early hedonistic days and often the baffled residents couldn't tell if what she was telling them was true or a creation of her overactive imagination. Lee would sometimes get tangled up in the tales she was spinning, 
as she had told one of her friends that her deceased husband was a womanizer who had physically assaulted her. But then she would tell another that the marriage had fizzled out and she'd moved to Wales on her own, leaving her ex-husband in New Zealand. Detective Chief Inspector Gareth Morgan made a further appeal for information in the hope that the local residents may have seen John before he died. The Chief Inspector stated, This is an extraordinary set of circumstances and we are working tirelessly to put together the pieces of what is a complex investigation. We would appreciate hearing from anyone who knew John and Lisa Bean and who may have socialised with them or met them back in 1996 to 1997. We would also appeal directly to the community in and around Tremukum to contact us with any information they may have in relation to the plastic wrapping that Mr Sabine was concealed in. Strangely, no one could recall meeting John. A tenancy agreement had been signed by both him and Lee in February 1997, and John had registered with the local doctor, but never turned up to his initial appointment. The police simply couldn't understand how. If Lee was responsible, she had managed to conceal her husband's body for so long that surely the neighbours would have noticed the smell if the body had been left in the garden for 18 years. A flat could have been a potential location of where a body could have been stored. One theory postulated was a attic would have been ideal, as both of the bedrooms in a home were filled with furniture, making it near impossible to conceal a body. Was it possible that when she was moving her husband's body from the attic to the garden, this was where she suffered the fall that would lead to a diagnosis of her terminal cancer. The answer was taken with Lee to her grave. As the investigation progressed, a report of the death was shown on the BBC, which contained footage of the Sabines being confronted by their children in the 1980s. After the segment aired, Valerie Chalkley, a friend to both John and Lee when they lived in Reading, called the detective in charge of the investigation. She had received a call from Lee in 1997 after the Sabines had moved to Wales. The two chatted, reminiscing about Lee's time in Reading and the topic turned to John. Valerie asked how he was and Lee said sarcastically, I've killed him. I hit him over the head with a stone frog. Valerie laughed and the two continued their conversation. Although Valerie was slightly uncomfortable with the nature of the joke, she again spoke to Lee a few days later, inquiring after John, and she was told he was okay, which put her fears to rest. But now given the discovery of John's body, she knew something was amiss. She fed this information back to Detective Chief Inspector Gareth Morgan, and he immediately called Michelle James, who had been sorting through Lee's belongings. The stone frog was neatly tidied away in a shoebox. DCI Morgan retrieved the frog and was now one step closer to solving the puzzle of who killed John Sabine. An inquest began in May 2016 at Aberdare Coroner's Court. During the initial investigation, Lee's flat was found to be immaculate and investigators could find no evidence which pointed to an area in which John could have been attacked. Lee had apparently employed steam cleaners on multiple occasions over the years who had removed any trace that John's body had been inside the property. It was confirmed, however, that John Sabine's death was caused by blunt force trauma to the head, with the skull exhibiting a number of fractures. An exact date of death couldn't be confirmed. Forensic pathologist Richard Jones explained, the frog had a projecting eye and hind leg, 
these features were lined up with the fractures. A single blow from this item could have accounted for all the skull fractures and can easily account for the death. Detective Chief Inspector Gareth Morgan stated, It is in my view that Lee Sabine probably killed John Sabine and wrapped up his body to move it outside. There was no evidence to suggest anyone else knew of his death. On May 18, 2016, an outcome of unlawful killing was recorded by Andrew Barclay, the Glamorgan Valley's coroner. Christopher Sabine, John's son from a previous marriage, spoke to the press outside the courtroom. Do you remember your father? I mean, what, what was he like? How well did you know him? Well, I only met him when I was about, I don't know, mid-30s, 40s. Early, well, early 40s, you know, mid-30s. And uh, he seemed a very nice chap. She seemed a very nice woman. And what was that meeting like with them, the last meeting you had with them? Uh, very strange. In what way? Well, she burnt the dinner because she didn't want us to eat it. <laughs> and what were you, were you meeting them to introduce? No, that was on about the sixth meeting. And, and what, what did she say to you at the time? Do you remember? She seemed all right. You know, um, we don't know what the other problems were. We didn't realise the problems in uh, Australia and New Zealand with the family out there. She told us it was a very happy uh, families out there. Not till after we found about the press releases and everything else, we realised we weren't as happy as they made out. What did you think had happened to your father during all of this time? I was told he was dead. By who? My mother. And basically my mother actually said, when I said to her, he's still alive, she said, well, I hoped he was dead. <laughs> what more can you say? In terms yeah. of the extra questions that you still have, there, not everything has always been answered at this inquest, has mm. it, in terms of what exactly happens to him? And what's your thoughts on that? With what? What exactly happens to him? What are your thoughts about that and the questions you still have? Well, it's good news, doesn't it? What else? You know, that's it. Whether she was on her own or not, we don't know. So where are we now? Michelle James a friend of Lee's is still suffering from the trauma of finding John's body. If this wasn't enough, she was arrested and placed in a holding cell. The experience has had a dramatic effect on Michelle's life, and local residents at first believed she was the one responsible. Shouts of murderer were often heard when she walked the streets. Michelle has been rehomed by the council and still misses her friends. Understandably distraught, she spoke to the Guardian newspaper and told them I can't sleep properly. When I close my eyes, it's all there. That poor man left out there. I can't look after my grandchildren. I can't watch the programs I used to watch. When I was at the police station, I thought I never would see my kids or grandkids ever again. I was terrified I was going to prison for a crime someone else committed. Christopher Sabine, John's son from a previous marriage, also spoke to the press Voicing his dislike of Lee, he explained, She was an evil woman. She knew what she was doing. She told a pack of lies all her life. Jane Sabine, daughter of Lee and John, had briefly spoken to her mother in 2000, after her brother Martin had taken his own life. It was on this call that Jane was told that her father had died, and the conversation with her mother ended abruptly. Unaware of the circumstances of his death, and just under a decade and a half later in 2014, one of Jane's children had managed to track down Lee in Wales, so Jane decided to write a letter to her mother to ask what drove her to abandon her children. 
Lee replied on a postcard which pictured a flaming phoenix on one side. On the other side, a response was written in capital letters. Like the phoenix, I will arise from the ashes and sleep with obey me and visit thee never. For my eyes are open thee forever and ever. I have served my life sentence of shame and blame. Now it's your turn to do the same. Your nemesis, Anne Lee Sabine. Not a year later, Lee was dead and her husband's body was discovered. Her daughter Jane still feels the effects of the abandonment she suffered as a child. I was three, three and a half when my parents left and all I know is that I was told that I nearly beat the door down because somehow I'm, I knew that they weren't coming back. Whenever we saw a taxi or an aeroplane walking home from school headed towards where we lived, we would run thinking it was our parents coming to pick us up. That went on for years. But the one thing that has never gone away is that lack of identity. I feel disconnected. I, I am the age I am now, yet I am still that, I am still that little girl with a need to know. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. More information can be found on our website at theywalkamonguspodcast.com. This week's podcast recommendation is History Dweebs. Hosts Tim, Chuck and Brandy cover a light-hearted mix of true crime, unsolved mysteries and fascinating human interest stories. My favourite episode so far focuses on Michael Malloy. Set to a backdrop of 1930s New York, a group of criminals decide to take out multiple insurance policies on a homeless man they plan to kill. The only problem was that he just wouldn't die. Please stick around for a few words from the history dweebs at the end of this podcast. If you would like to support They Walk Among Us and receive ad-free content and other extras, go to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us. We've recently set up a new Facebook group where you can discuss the cases featured in the show, your favourite podcasts or anything in between. Just head over to Facebook and search for They Walk Among Us podcast. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast or follow us on Instagram under They Walk Among Us podcast. Hello, this is the Colonel from the History Dweebs, where me and my co-host Brandy and Timmy take a light-hearted look at the dark side of history. We would like to invite you to listen to one, no, let's say two episodes, because you could get a bad one, two episodes of our show, and see if you like it. And if you do, subscribe, listen. You can find us on iTunes under History Dweebs. Thank you, and good day. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.